like I'm losing my mind Is everybody in the world blind? Please Lord give me a sign, a sign I wanna be the greatest, everybody on the face shit I look around and feel like everybody is the fakest I make this, every day and I'm impatient Hoping one day I blow up from the basement I feel like I'm losing my mind Is everybody in the world blind? Please Lord give me a sign my intent was not to play that song twice. Clearly, I have it on loop. What's going on, everybody? How are you guys doing? Mo, what's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Mark? I'm good, bro. I'm good. We actually did not get to chat before the show really started, so you guys get to see a natural conversation. Dude, I, I found my favorite beer, by the way. Uh, what is I know this? you don't have a beer. Hotla. Where's the camera? There, over there. You can't even see, barely see it. Hotla. It's a German beer. It's basically beer with lemonade mix. It's similar to the uh, was it Lu Leichenhauser or Leichenkugler, but not yeah. as it's, it's way better. It's way better. So I found this at uh, I think it's called Total Wine. Great. So if you guys are out there, check it out. It may be a choir taste. I don't know. Again, it's lemonade mixed with beer. But um, yeah, overall, Mo, let's talk about Disney real quick, man. Easy you know, earnings. I like how you're so fundamental, and I'm like, don't I don't even look at that stuff. Um, I like I like what Disney's doing right now, and a lot of people might think like in comparison to everything else, it's just not doing anything. But there's some laggers, there's some leaders, and Disney might be the last one to go but uh it's at a very interesting spot i was teaching fibonacci today and guess mm -hmm. what it, in the last six months today is the first time I actually got over the fib so it's it's looking good it's, it's yeah it's real interesting because remember um last week it was uh i mentioned disney that I was going to get into the 85 dollar call um but i was specifically thinking about whether or not i want to buy shares or not so if people out there were curious i have not bought shares but i did get into the 85 dollar call but this is the important thing where i want to touch on real quick before we get into the next topic you didn't like disney mark responded in the comments too and was like i'm not getting a disney until they fix their problems so i still chose to move ahead and get into the position because i followed my own thesis not yours, not Mark. Not that you guys are not great, because clearly oh, like oh, you're, you're great. Huh? I like Disney. I'm in Disney stocks. Oh, you are? Okay. I thought you said yeah. you 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 didn't no, no, like no. it. Okay. I've, okay. Because the last one month, I've been saying Disney's at a point where it's not about it's a good company or not. It's at a point where it, it will bounce back. And that's what I need for it to do. The technical levels, correct. And that's what I apply. I use my fundamentals as well as my technicals. But the reason why I just wanted to kind of bring up because I know there was um there's a lot of concerns that i had with disney which was the same concerns that mark brought up and the ones that we spoke about the same thing that fabio from capital mindset spoke about funny thing is on friday i went on his podcast we were there dude he streams for like four hours man sometimes to eight hours every blue moon he'll just get on and he'll go over tickers or whatever and we jumped on we started discussing disney in fact i think he said he got out of disney but not because of the fact that he didn't like it he still thinks it's at a crucial point right now which you and i still agree on he just wanted to allocate his money elsewhere where he sees better opportunity Makes me sense. yeah like i told you guys i did not buy shares but i bought the contract and i'm going to put it up here so you guys can see the reason why i'm bringing this up is not because i'm trying to like brag or anything that oh look at me i was right not at all 
what I'm trying to explain here is that regardless when you listen to shows like ours, when you listen to other people's shows, when you listen to, um, I don't know, whatever shows you listen to that's online, go in there open-minded. Listen to the bear case and the bull case. If you're bullish in a stock, listen to the bear case and see if those are things that you already considered before getting into position. Because you never know. It may pique your interest. There may be some red flags that you completely missed that the other person brought up, and then you can decide whether or not you want to continue to move forward. But ultimately, ultimately, Stand fast in what you believe in, in your own thesis. Do not jump or make moves based off of other people's opinions, but always hear them out. That's my overall recommendation. Hence, like I said, I respect you, Mo, very, very much. Fabio, I will say that I personally, on, on, out of all investors I know, he's probably top five, if not to me, one of the best ones that I know. And he's not getting into it, but I still, we still have the same thesis. It's just whether or not he's ready to get into it or not i chose to get into it and so far is doing pretty well and i want to share the results is it even up here what happened to it um so this is what i was in i talked about it before i got into a 85 dollar call when disney was at 85 and some change like two weeks ago or, or so for january then i sold a call which makes it a now a poor man's um call what I'm doing here is offsetting any potential downside temporarily. So I did a month out and I collected $184. Clearly, I'm down on it right now. All I need to make sure is that it doesn't, is not above 90 by end of next week. And then I collect and I keep that $184 that I collected. I was planning on doing that every single month, just a little bit out of the money to see if Disney gets there or not, especially if it doesn't move because it hasn't been moving much for the past couple months so that was a way for me to protect myself now during earnings i did do a straddle that went nowhere i think a straddle a strangle that completely done it was like a 40 dollar um loss but that did absolutely nothing around earnings but um so with disney you want to get into the earnings a little bit real quick um yeah quick uh braun commented disney will look more attractive around 75 ron if disney loses 85 i'm out so I'm a little bit different. I'm, I will never average down. I will go buy things in strength. My average cost basis on Disney is around 86. And I'm up a little bit. I, I may trim. Like, it depends on where the market heads to after OPEX. But, uh, but yeah, let's get into the earnings stuff. Yeah, because it's still very, very concerning. There's, the earnings was exactly what I expected. But I knew this. I was like, if it came... In way worse than expected, it was probably going to not hold that 85 and drop probably into the 70s. If it did extremely well, I knew it was probably going to jump up below 90 and my my call that I sold will be dead in the water, right? But I will still gather premium from the call that I'm in. Um, but nothing, the thesis didn't change. It's exactly everything that I was expecting here. Like Disney reported a decline of 7.4% in the Disney subscribers, which equals out to approximately $12 million, 12 million subscribers, sorry, they've lost. In a quarter, and that was mostly due to the major losses that came from the Disney Hotstar due to the loss of rights to India Premier League cricket matches. Not sure how they lost that deal, but they lost that, so, and they lost a lot of Indian subscribers, which basically account for the majority of that 12 million subs that they lost. Funny thing is, during their earnings call, they were bragging, oh, we gained 300,000 subscribers, but you lost 12 million. I don't think that's anything to brag about. They try to find... 
cherry pick little things to make it look better. Um, they're not there. There was a rare quarterly net loss of 2.65 billion in a one-time charge and impairments. That's a lot. And that was due to them pulling content off of streaming platforms and, and ending some of the third party licensing agreements. Um, when it came to the parks, guess which park wasn't doing well, Mo? Florida one. Cause they're having yep. so much political issues. Yep, they, yep. They're only the only reason why they were positive in the Disney parks was because of the reopening. And uh, was it Japan or China? China, yeah. I think it's China. Yeah, and then the one in LA. So those kind of covered up the losses that they had here in Florida. So that one is not doing well. Sales has gone down in Florida. Um, so it's there's no hiding that. Now Iger did mention that he's planning on focusing more on quality over quantity so we'll see if that actually happens but most importantly disney is also looking to acquire the full control of hulu see i wasn't aware of this i thought disney owned hulu did you no i had no idea oh yeah i mean i knew they i i, I thought they owned it outright i did not know that it's a is a business deal and a partnership with comcast so they're looking to buy that in the future which is going to be around nine billion dollars and then the only reason the stock went up somewhat because i was watching the charts while they were doing their earnings report the only reason it went for a run, in my personal opinion, by looking at what was happening, because nothing here was impressive, was the fact that they say they're going to bring back the dividend. But they said a modest dividend because Disney used to be a dividend stock. So I don't I don't necessarily like that right now. I think this is the this is this kind of um, hype buying right now. The reason why is at 91. So if 91 doesn't hold, I mean, I'll definitely collect that almost nearly 200 bucks that I sold. I'm going to keep doing this until I feel like Disney has peaked out in the next month or so, unless it ends up running and then I continue to hold on to it. But yeah, right now I'm up 40. I think it said 42% is what I'm up on. Uh, then they open up the earnings call and there's a guy named Stephen K Hill from Wells Fargo. Dude, I love this guy. This guy called Disney out for what it is. He basically threw shade at him in the middle of the conference call, explaining that, Hey, you guys are lacking significantly compared to Netflix during their time of growth. Because remember, for many, many years, Netflix was not yeah. profitable. So that guy kind of brought that up to everyone's attention that you guys are not doing as well as Netflix was during that same time frame. And I do think a lot of it has to do with the, the political and other just not the quality that's being put into these films anymore, unfortunately. So um, but. You know, Disney is one of those companies I don't think is going to go away anytime soon. Uh, a person did ask about the rumors that Apple was going to buy Disney. Again, Apple is not buying Disney. I don't see Disney being bought out completely by Apple. Will they get into a licensing deal? They already did that. Will some of the content maybe show up on Apple TV? Sure. But I don't think they're going to be sold out. And then they're also thinking about, I think they said, um, potentially selling ESPN as well. But that's that's it, man. I just wanted to kind of just talk about Disney now. Do I Would I still buy it? I think... Right now, it ran specifically only because of the dividend. If you didn't buy in now, I personally am not touching it. Like I said, I'm thinking about the shares. We'll see if for some reason Disney is at 110 by January and I have that call option, I may just execute on it and keep the shares. So we'll see from there. Thoughts, Mo? I think everything you said, if we all like forget for a second that this is a podcast to think like an investor, if we were given this opportunity to invest in Disney and someone from Disney came in and told all of this, I think a majority would pass on the investment. They're losing subscribers, and then now they're saying they're going to take cash flow out and pay dividends. Yeah. This is this market. We have to understand from a how do I say private equity fund point of view, where if I have my pension fund with Mark's fund, 
Mark only makes money if Mark puts that money in some sort of stock or equity, right? If Mark mm-hmm. puts it cash, he's not getting paid. So they're just put it piling money away, which is what's going to cause the big drop, in my opinion. This is not good. And if you were to say, as an investor, would I invest in Disney? No, absolutely not. And that's why Fabio doesn't want to invest. So knowing why Fabio can't go to a fund, let's say that wants to invest $50 million and say why, invest in Disney, they'll be like, well, we can do it in shop. We could do it 10 other places that the numbers look strong and people are going from physical to virtual and there's so much growth versus an old model, which Disney has. Their new model of uh, paper subscription isn't working. Now mm-hmm. they're paying dividends. So that's why you have to listen to these people, these analysts, these funds, because a lot of time we don't have to trade like them because we don't have the same risk tolerance as them. We, if if a fund, let's say SoftBank, had to take $3 billion out of Disney stocks, let's say, they know what could that do to a stock. So they need something that's liquid and they're holding for long term. They could just literally tank the stock single-handedly. So we have to be very careful. This dividend news is not good at all. And you're right. So when people hear dividends, I'm going to be so careful with my word. There's so many dividend gurus on Twitter. The stock is freaking down 40% and you've made 5% <laughs> dividend all year round. And you're just like, Doesn't make sense. what's wrong with you? Like it makes no sense. At the end of the day, if the ROI makes sense after five, 10 years, sure. But if the overall net income is negative or the net ROI is negative, there's no point even talking dividend. But it's one of those trigger words like AI where certain class of people pay dividend, they'll end up buying more. I think majority of the reason why Disney is going up is because existing shareholders are buying more, not new people are coming, in my opinion. Yeah, I think some new dividend investors just off of that hype now are also buying currently. Because again, if you look at it on a technical level, it's at a crucial support. Well, it was at 85. It was like a crucial support and demand zone. If it would break that support, then it becomes resistance. It did not break. It went up. So we'll see what happens from here. Um, Again, this is currently not an investment for me. I would not invest into Disney at this point. This is strictly a trade off of technical levels and the fundamentals haven't changed in this earnings call like I talked about before, which is the reason why I feel like it kind of stayed in the 80s because the market was pricing it there knowing everything that's dealing with Disney. So it had to be really bad news for it, I think, to tank. But maybe something might come down the pipeline. Who knows at that point? But yeah. All right, let's get to uh, Tesla. Everybody, if you saw the thumbnail, should a person who has over 1,100 shares of Tesla, should he sell right now, Mo? Well, it, it all depends on their future goals, right? That's where, what's their risk tolerance? What's their goal with the money? What's the opportunity cost? If they sell, where are they planning on investing it? Are they holding it cash? Like, what kind of, like, what do you, what do you call it? What kind of risk assessment have they done on their day-to-day? Like if a recession hits, they lose their job. Are they liquid or not? The emergency fund, do they have a six to one year for an emergency fund? Like all that stuff matters to be completely transparent. Tesla is not at a bad price, like 250. It's not like Nvidia where it went from 100 to all the way what 450, where taking profit would make sense. Tesla hasn't done that much knowing how aggressive that stock is. It could maintain its position for now unless something drastic happens. And again, 
what that person's thinking 10 years down the road. What do you mean it hasn't done that much? It went from $101 all the way to close to 300 You know Tesla. The, tes- tes- the stock's personality hasn't moved what it's capable of, if that makes sense. Tesla is one of the most explosive stock. I'm telling you there's a lot of people sitting on sidelines that haven't touched it. They're waiting for some sort of recession, something to happen. I don't know what's going to happen at this point. We could get it. We could go 400 again and then drop. But it depends. But Tesla's full potential hasn't been realized, partly because Elon did those price decreases, which brought the margin down, might have turned off a few people. But Tesla's got way more potential, man. It's a, it's like Chipotle. That stock keeps going up and makes no sense. I still don't understand. I just... Right? So don't understand it. So the personality of the stock could do more as a company fundamental, maybe not, but on its own, we know it's a cult stock. That's what I meant. It could yeah, and guess stock. what, everybody? We have a cult member who's willing to come on. <laughs> He's laughing in the background right now. Let's give you guys a quick, big, quick, big background. Big background. It doesn't even make sense. English is my second language. I got to remind people. Or that's just an excuse just to pass off my, my lack of vocabulary over here. Um, the guy who's coming on, his name is Martini. Me and him go way back. We used to work together in the military for, for a good amount of years. He started buying Tesla way back. So he does have over 1,100 shares, no cap. This isn't BS. Um, and he keeps up on the stories. The reason why I was like, hey, man, he called me because we were talking about the fact that Zachary, I think his name is Kirkhorn. He was a CFO who really helped build up or make Tesla profitable. He ensured that. He's been a CFO for... 13 years and there's a theory that his departure um basically hold on he's like one of the theories is departure is that he had already accomplished everything he needed to do and all the heavy lifting for tesla and there's there's supposedly rumors that he may take on a position elsewhere but he was known as a master of coin and he stepped down from the position effectively august 4th it kind of feels like it came out of nowhere um but yeah he took basically tesla from a 50 billion dollar company all the way to a $773 billion company. And the reason why I'm bringing on my buddy here is because he is an investor of Tesla. He believes in Tesla. He knows a lot about the battery technology. He owns two Teslas. He's the first, He's the reason why I even sat in a Tesla because he owned one of them and we, we drove to Atlanta together. But I want to bring him on because he's not a simp. He's not really part of the cult. He looks at stuff very strategically. Maybe it's because of our background. But I want to have a conversation with him because I think he could do a lot more with those shares than just holding them. What's going on, Martini? How you doing, hey, man? Good, good. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Good, good seeing you. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love the intro and kind of what you're getting at. You are correct that I look at this as uh, a long-term investor type of thing, first of all. So I have been lucky to go through the waves of the ups, the downs. So I look at it a little bit different than a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had conversations before of like, wow, I could do other things with this uh, number of shares and things like that. But I have, you know, tranches of, okay, what is it going to look like in five years? What is it going to look like in 10 years? I am looking for alpha. So you guys are probably like the more technical analysis folks, the value investors type of, can you guys hear me first of all? Yeah. Yeah. Can you just yeah, move yeah. a little bit, move oh, yeah. a little bit over so we can there see we go. Over. There we go. <laughs> There you go. Gotta show your beautiful face, man. Come on. I know, I know. <laughs> so, so that's your realm of like, hey, where's um, you know, is it overvalued? Is it undervalued? But this is what I can tell you how I came up with my thesis because everyone has a different thesis of how they're gonna uh, come up with things. 
Um, you know, back in 2017, that's when I initially bought. So of course my uh, price point is probably somewhere between 80 and hundred dollars, right? So I have a long way to fall. Um, however, it's not like I want to do that, but here's how I, how I look at it. A lot of time people they're talking about, is it a tech company? Is it a, um, is it a car company? I look at it as a energy company. And the reason why, um, back in 2017, there's a guy named Tony Siba and another guy, uh, Martin Katsua sitting in front of a bunch of oil and gas folks. And they were telling these people like, Hey, levelize, levelize cost of energy and all these different things. And that just really got my brain going. So then I start thinking like, okay, if this company can scale, then, you know, the, the, the search for alpha is, you know, limitless until they cannot produce right now, Elon, I will say, I think he does a little bit of cap when it comes to, Hey, 50%, we're going to do all these things. So I just discount all of that. Right. And what I've been able to determine the, the precipice for me to hold on to the stock through a lot of this was when they had battery day, maybe that was in 2020, something like that. And mm -hmm. it really got into, Hey, the, the ability to scale this battery technology and you know it's a it's a doubling effect so when i sit back and i think about it i say okay the car all right my personal opinion there isn't a car that's a better car than that right i bought the car or i put a reservation without even seeing seeing the car people who are going to step into the cyber truck it is an ugly thing they want it right they want it because what it can do so there isn't a um lack of demand for whatever vehicle they they have as long as they're able to continue to level up when it comes to batteries, there's they can make a car easy now. Uh, but then I start thinking about other things like going through a recession and things like that. Now, can they survive that? Well, there's so many different verticals of um, the ability to they could even do a golf cart, right? You have a 100 kilowatt hour battery and OK, people aren't buying cars. Boom, you put it in a golf cart or you put it in the uh, storage um, what do you call it? The Tesla storage walls and things like that. Right. So there's a lot of different verticals, but I do discount uh, full self driving. I don't really count that. I don't count the solar business or anything like that. Those are the uh, the extra cards in the deck that you may have that they could pull out in the future. So that's kind of my overall thesis of how I come up with holding the stock. So you, you're really banking on this whole battery issue, I do. right? Well, what about that? The rumors of the Toyota battery that's coming out of solid state battery? Are you yeah. you think that's a threat at all? I don't. Right. And and the reason being Tesla has been at this for a long time and they go out, you know, that's why it's important for people to go pay attention to those uh, earnings calls, but especially those events and things like that. Now, a lot of times they're long and they're technical and I am not the most technical guy, but I can read a chart and say, oh, we're trying to get from here to here. Right. And if I see that, I say, OK, when I'm looking at other highly P.E. ratio companies, right. I think uh, Amazon is a high one, right? And I'm like, okay, is Amazon growing at a faster clip than Tesla? That's how I that's how I kind of put things in into perspective. Um, so the battery is what I what I'm banking on, and as long as they can continue to ramp up the batteries, I don't see a a big downfall of the stock, in my personal opinion. Why haven't you sold or shaved off? some shares especially what was it mo when when did we call that when it was at 300 yeah had, that was back in 2021 is that when everyone was calling us crackheads yeah, um, yeah i think it was uh 2020 was it 2021 or 2022 um 
had to be 2021, I think. It was more. I think it was 450. Something like yeah, that, right? It got a pretty, yeah, it got up pretty high. Um, and I had called you. I called yeah, you, you and I was like, I don't know, man. Like, why are you not selling some of the shares off at least and then just buy when it goes lower? I understand you're an investor, but right. you have so many. And by right. the way, are you a millionaire now off of this? No, no, not not yet. Okay. So this All is right. this is this is a big portion of it, of course, but uh, you know, not not yet. I do have like targets. Basically, what I'm looking for is when Tesla, you know, starts to shave off when they don't have the growth as you know um, dynamic as it is right now. Then that's when I'll start pulling pulling back. As of now, I don't see a reason to pull back. Now, I I do think that. I probably should have sold, you know, some off when it hit around four hundred dollars for sure. Uh, but the problem with Tesla, as, as many people that invest in, and I'm sure you guys, if you do any type of trading, it's a wild stock. You know, you don't know what's mm -hmm. up their sleeve. And I have got caught once before trying to play the game again, early investor trying to play the game of okay, let me sell some, and then when it goes down, try to buy some some more, right? And it went the opposite direction, right? It went up. <laughs> And when you're trying to hold off for for long term, um, it gets a little little dangerous. So, in my my opinion, at least, um, yeah, great question. Yeah, Mo, do you have anything for him? No, I was going to ask you: Is there a point where you would sell all? Like, what's one thing you think? And that I asked this to Mark Monroe too. Yeah. At what point would you be like, okay, I'm completely out? Is there one or two things that you're watching, like red flags, a company to do? Where you're yeah, like, I am. So. Yeah, I am. So I do look at Tesla as an probably in my lifetime, I'll probably always hold some unless the company changes, you know, they aren't aren't able to source battery supplies. Um, you know, I do think the the China plant personally wasn't the greatest move. I understand why they did it, but you know, their economic tension. So I pay attention to all of that. But then I, I try to figure out um all right, is it large enough to stall the company out dramatically and in my i would say probably the next 15 to 20 years i don't see me completely being out of it um you know a lot of people talk about hey well if elon passed and things like that as long as the 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 game plan is still set i'll probably continue to to hold it um again the biggest thing is if they can't source new battery supplies that's probably when i'll uh really pull back um to answer your question and last, last question. I mean, do you have anything else, Mo? No, I'm good. Yeah, last question. I'm going to hit you hard on this one, man, because you and I all talked right, about yeah. this already. You have all these shares. And you've been mm -hmm. accumulating them. Why are you not doing cover calls? Yes. Or if you if you want to at least buy some more, why not do cash secure puts then in that case? Because I'm looking. You and I talked about this. Right. I'm looking at September 23, for example. Uh, that's next month. I don't think Tesla's going to get to 270 280. I could yeah. be wrong. Mo, what about you? Um no. Okay. So you can yeah, you can collect anywhere from 500 at the 270 to around 280 $300 per 100 shares that you have. Now again, I know you don't want to sell any of your shares. Right. You could do that. Maybe what, you know, 2 to 300 shares is keep rinse and repeat until eventually it may get called away and then you right. just do cash secure puts at a lower price. Right. So it hits your price. Yeah, I, I think I am going to uh, explore that option right now. I think I got I got uh, scared and shaken up once before. See, and you guys know this is a is a cult stock and it doesn't move off of logic. So tomorrow they can say, "Hey, 
we uh, we've got to production of the Cybertruck early, right? And it means nothing, right? But the stock can shoot up for some illogical reason right there, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that's typically why I was like, okay, I'm just going to hold on to it and, and not do anything else or something go the opposite direction. The good thing now, you know, I've been through all of the, um, you know, sitting back saying, oh, these cars are catching on fire. And I'm like, hmm, it's not. And having to go through the, the stock tanking, right? So luckily Elon owns a media company now. So <laughs> take himself a little bit that way. Um, but yeah, but I probably will get into the cover calls type of thing because it, it just makes sense. It's such a roller coaster. Why not? Yeah, I saw something that today, actually, that Tesla News, I mean, Tesla News, some stuff on Tesla News today, that they're being um, sued by Virginia for multiple car crashes. Yeah, they op the U.S. opens up an investigation to the fatal Tesla crashes in Virginia. So far, they say they've had 23 crashes, deaths reported in these cases with the self-driving. Right. And that this was autopilot-related. Are, are these types of investigations and lawsuits, because they seem to be quite frequent with Tesla, are those any concerns for you as an investor? I, I love those, to be quite honest, right? Um, because typically, if it's, if it's one of those type of stories, I'm like, okay, the media is doing what it, what it does, right? Because I own the vehicle, I drive the vehicle, you kind of know what's real and what's not. Uh, so those type of stories I actually love because it tanks the, the stock and then I go back and rebuy. The things that scare me, yes, like when Zach... Uh, just you know out of the blue left the company that scares me it's like why is he leaving the company right and we know that they're going into a you know the rest of the year probably next year is going to probably be pretty rough for tesla so it's like well how rough is it if zach is leaving right so those type of things scare me or um you know if they're going into a, a location or they can't source new battery material or you know the big the next precipice i'm you know i see is the next election cycle like it's going to be something scary to shake things up right um but typically you know people are out here to make money so i was like okay as long as everything is still good with the fundamentals of the company i'll write it out i oh, appreciate it martini is there any questions at all in the chat mo um no uh, someone just said they would leave if uh elon left or they'd be out if elon left the company mm. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I'll add that to that really quick. You know, I think the company today is in good shape, right? Uh, prior to probably 2021, yeah, I probably would have too, right? I, I do think anyone, uh, you know, one of the, I think the company can be ran by any competent CEO. The, I would say the level of growth may change right because it does it go to trying to fill that mission of you know sustainability and growth and all that kind of stuff the mission may may change based on that new ceo to just hey we just need to make money that type of thing to return money to the shareholders uh so that yeah i may uh reconsider at that point in time too depending on how that new ceo you know begin to run a company things like that all right Awesome. And I would just want to bring you on so people have an idea how like an investor should think about it and how you've been pretty, pretty stubborn with with selling Tesla every time I try to convince you. <laughs> I am going to try you to know, cover calls. <laughs> at least to cover calls, man. At least try to make some money. If you listen, um, listen, Martini, thank you for coming. Um, yeah. Do you have any questions for us? Are you, you're good to go. No, I'm good to go. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Mark. All right, man. You Appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah. yeah take care. So. Uh, it's it's funny because the reason why I called it, I wanted to bring him up here and talk about the cover calls because you heard how he said like, oh, I'm I'm a little nervous and scared about it because this isn't 
he's not used to this. On Monday, I saw Lawrence's episode, and he talked about doing like cover crawls of Cassie Care Puts and stuff like that. And I noticed the audience is very scared when you start talking about the numbers. And I want people to try to separate being a premium seller from being just a regular options trader that's going directional um, bets like like Mo does. It's completely different. The risk reward is very different because you're playing more of a probability game versus a percentage game of what's the, what's the chance of this level is going X, Y, and Z. So just kind of change your mindset and look a little bit deeper into it. And as we move on with this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that stuff because that is like, it's what I do. I do cover calls, cash secure puts, and vertical spreads. That's pretty much almost all I do these days. So, all right. Um, yeah, Mo, let's go over some of our plays. You ready for that? Yeah, let's talk about... Um... We want to do small accounts first. Yeah, sure. Let's do the small account first. All right, go for it, man. So everyone here, if you have a small account, what do you consider? First of all, what do you consider a small account, Mo? Um, the definitions change for me, um, and it's because just the way the market's been. I've been buying more time, more at the money calls or puts, so they're more expensive. Um, but like standard definition, anything from five hundred to two grand would be small account. It's very subjective, but that's what I consider a small account. All right. So tell us how, what strategies you think people can utilize to try to help and grow their small account. Okay. I'm going to share a PowerPoint. Okay. Give me one second. Is it full screen yet? Or I'm still trying to get no, used here. to. Uh, yeah. Let me, let me go put it on full screen for you there. Give me one second. What, what is going I think it's on my, yeah. Where the hell is my mouse? It's all, oh, I think it's on my iPad. My bad. If you click right, there you go. Awesome. Okay, so the reason why we're doing this is because over the last couple of years, I've done a lot of one-on-ones. I've talked to a lot of people. And there's a, I'd say there's a myth saying that it's easier to grow a small account versus a large account. But I'd be very honest with you, the market conditions we're in, a lot of people and how they're trading, they're at a disadvantage trading with a $500 account. And I'm going to get into why, but I want to set in some of the pitfalls people are doing, which you're going to see in the slides, and some of the most common things, mistakes people are making, which once I explain, it's going to relate to you. Most people are still doing it. I'm pretty sure people that are listening in are also doing it. Just last week, I did four one-on-ones where people uh, came in and just usually analyze and evaluate their trading and how it's going. And I found out that there were very similarities on what they were doing wrong and why their account isn't growing. And they've been doing this for the last two years, meaning they've been trading with one contract and haven't been getting anywhere. Um, the reason why they're trading with one contract is because not they're not confident. And there's multiple other reasons, but I'm going to get into a couple of things here. Give me one second. Let me go to my presentation. Okay. So here's some of the common pitfalls. I call small accounts as new traders because most people that are are trading small accounts, they're trading small accounts because they haven't seen much success or they saw success in 2020. And now they're like back at a small account and then they're struggling with it, which I still consider call them a new trader. So 
one of the biggest mistake I see people making is picking an option chain based on your budget. I'll give you an example. Someone like on Twitter or you're part of a Discord or, you know, you heard something on CNBC calls a trade of Tesla, let's say, and you hear it and the trade comes down to, let's say, $700 contract. I see a lot of people taking that trade and picking a different strike price, a different expiry, usually something out the money and closer to the date just because that's all the money they have. And this also happens when there's flow. So for instance, 20 million came into a month out Tesla calls for at the money. So if Tesla's at let's say 200, it came for 200. You go weekly 250 because you saw that because that's all you could afford. That is not the same. They might make money and you might not. Picking an option chain is very important. Part of that is picking the right strike price, right expiry. If you cannot afford that, does not mean you should go out the money and buy less time. That's a sure way of losing money because you're kind of doing your own thing and taking extreme risk just to match that call out. So do not do that. If it's out of your budget, you just stay out. It's that simple. There's trades to, to this date where I don't take and I'll be like, this is expensive. And that's it. And that's I move on to the next call. The second one is following someone else's plan. So I think majority of people that I talk to are part of a Discord, they're part of uh, a Substack, part of a Twitter group where they're doing callouts. The problem with that is you don't know what that person's account size is, what their risk tolerance is, what their um, what they are as a trader. Are they good at scalping, swing trading, and what are you good at? So you could, and I'm not saying just cancel all your subs and just figure out your own life. What I'm saying is when a callout's made or when you see something like that, see if that fits your uh, tolerance and that goes for your risk tolerance, your mind tolerance and all that, which we'll get to. But scan it for yourself, skim it through. If it doesn't make sense for you, you do not take it. The third one, this is the biggest reason why most people are stuck where they're at. This is diversifying your trades instead of focusing on high probability trades. I'm going to go over a specific example for this one. So just hold off of this one. The, la uh, the fourth one is over trading. A lot of people are taught that if you're a small account, take 25% profit and they will take 25% profit and then they'll enter another trade and then they'll enter another trade and then they'll give it back or they're basically um, kind of just going at it because they feel like the more... Uh, they trade the more money they'll make and it comes from like work ethic and it's basically like if you put in more hours you'll make more money trading doesn't work that way and then the last one is correlated tricking taking profits too early a lot of times people will get into something and because someone some genius told them that take profits at 25 percent, which has no relation with the market or the trade you take profits and then it runs another 500 percent which could have made your small account into a mid or a large account, but because you only had one contract or, and because someone told you 25, you took it. So these are the core five things that I've noticed that a lot of people struggle with. And it's just same thing over multiple, I'd say I've talked to over a thousand people just this year. No joke. If I show you my calendar on any given week, new traders, I'm doing about eight to nine, appointments right now in the past i've taken like a lot more and i summarize to these things not to brand new to i'm talking about people that have been in the market for two plus years that are just small accounts and they're just struggling so
keep this in mind. Remember I told you I'm going to go over the diversific diversification part again. I'll give you an example. So Mo and Mark both have a $500 account. Mo basically puts $150 in Tesla call, $150 in Google call, and $200 in Spy calls. I'm going to wait a second and ask you guys, what do you think is wrong with this technique? And Mark, you can step in too if you want to. What is wrong with what Mo's doing? And on the, while you guys are typing, Mark, on the other hand, just comes in, puts in $400 into a Tesla contract for two weeks out for $400, whereas Mo has one contract and weeklies in three different trades. What's wrong with Mo? And I'm being like very factual. There's something very factual wrong with how Mo's trading, and that's how I see a lot of people trading these days. Way too over-leveraged. Okay, so over leverage. So Michelle, what I'm saying is I have 500 and Mark has 500 and I am basically going in a bunch of weeklies, like three different trades, whereas Mark comes in chilled out. He's like, I like Tesla. I'm going to go 400, three contracts, and I'm going to add more time. What's wrong with my style? There's something over leverage time. Yeah. It's time and over leverage. So the biggest thing, weeklies, right? Yeah. The biggest thing, Mark, is I have money in Tesla. I have money in Google. I have money in Spy. All of them is tech. So what have I done? I put in all my money in there. So I have 150, 153, 500, all in tech. If tech goes down, they go. Second problem, I have one contract. So I can't scale or manage. I'm going to make a do or die decision when I have to. Third problem, I'm now managing three trades with only $500. That's kind of like taking three jobs with like $4 per hour just so I can make more and I'm not doing quality work in any one of them. And I'm stressing myself out. Why am I in three different trades that I don't need to manage? I'm watching three different charts, three different strike prices, three different news article like Google had this Tesla. I see a lot of people do it. And then the moment I say, Instead of putting 500 into tech, wouldn't it make sense putting 400 in Tesla? Well, that's too much. That's my entire account. Well, you've already put your entire account on tech. You just don't realize that because it looks much safer. You look like, okay, I'm diversifying. One bad news with tech, spies down, QQQ's down, Google's down, all of that is down. But I promise you, Mark, a lot of people are trading like that. You cannot trade like that because... How are you managing? There's been times when I have one SPX contract left. And at that point, I'm just selling wherever I start getting nervous. I don't know how high that's going to go. In the last two days, SPX has gone on two of my calls, 2,000%. One, I got out at 1,000% and I had one contract left. The second trade, I got out of 200% and then I did a roll and made another 200%. Overall, I made 400, but that trade did 2,000%. Why? Because I had less contracts. So... I know you guys are doing it. Believe it or not, I talked to too many people to do that. And I had a conversation, Was it was yesterday, I'm not going to give out names. And they've been trading with one contract for about a year now. And the logic is I'm not going to get more contracts until I'm confident. You're not going to be confident with trading with one trade. <laughs> that tells me that you're nervous all right, right? If you look at a trade and you're like, I'm not going to put in more than one contract. That tells me you're not confident. Be it my play, be it Mark's play, 
if you're not confident, it shows two things. You either don't have the skill set to do it to the money you're using. You actually need it. So my second point is this. If you blow your account every three months, let's say $500 and you refill it every three months, let's say you put in two, two to $2,500. You might be saying last year I blew 30 K this year. I only did 2,500. I'm actually learning. You might think, you know, this is a cost of learning as well. It's not, you're just, you're not sure. You're just taking uh, shots at the dark and I'm not trying to be uh, mean or rude to you guys. I'm just trying to wake people up and saying, don't do that. I'm not telling you to go buy people's courses or any of that either. What I'm trying to tell you is self-invest. If it comes down to you learning on YouTube for free, do that. If you have the fund and resources to go pay someone, go do that. But do what's best for you because you're not only wasting uh, that $25 that year, you're wasting your time that you could be learning some other skill. I will never tell you to pick trading over freelancing, graphic designing, doing SEO. For me, if you guys are making money and you're happy, that's what it matters. The source of income doesn't matter, right? So I know I get a little bit passionate about this stuff, but it's because it boils me when I talk to people. I'm like, yo, why are you trading with one contract? It's not a response. It's not responsible. It's wasting time. Um, okay, so the next slide is... You need to know who you are. You know, when you find a partner, you kind of have to know who you are. And that way you can know who to pick so you could figure out if you're compatible or not. And that's sort of what you do when you buy a business. So if someone's a doctor, they're not going to buy a framing business because they have no experience or knowledge. Yet a lot of people are scalping today and they don't have the emotional strength to do that. They're actually swing traders. And they're doing it because the discord they're signed up to, they only scalp. So they're like, I'm going to do the same thing because that guy makes 100K. I'm going to make it too. So you need to know who you are as a trader. That's huge. You need to identify your stop losses before you get into the trade. You need to talk to yourself how many trades you're going to take. And this is very subjective because you can say, I will only take trades that are A plus setup, but then you have to define it. And then you need to set up a set of rules for yourself. Some of the rules could look like, I will assume predefined risk. An example, I am going to en enter CLS with $1,000 in my um, account, and I'm going to put it in $1,000. And the moment I enter the trade, based on my calculation, 300 is what I can lose in the trade. And that's my assumed risk. If I lose 300, I just move on because I accepted it. What people do, they start DMing me, Mo, are you still in that trade? And they, the more often they ask me these questions, the more over leverage they are. And that's how I can tell. Next is establishing. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, can I say something? I just, to go back to the previous slide as well, like when you put all those plays out and you were saying that they're just, they're over leveraged in tech. I think a lot of times the mindset a lot of people have as well is if I get in multiple trades, one of them will hit, which will offset the losses of all the other ones. It won't, though. But like you brought up, correct, because you brought up the good point that if you all are in tech and tech goes down, you're going to lose across the board. So having a bunch of extra trades does not increase your chances of 
winning. It's like the Powerball. People will get 20, 30 tickets hoping to win the Powerball. It doesn't really increase your chances. I mean, I guess it does kind of. But, you know, for the most part, if you keep doing that, you're going to continue to lose and lose and lose a big amount of money until you finally win. And then when you do win, it's not going to offset all the losses that you have. But you're going to get that euphoric feeling like, oh, man, I finally got it. Let me keep doing this over and over and over. And it's going to be a repetitive cycle of you losing money. I'm going to tell you a secret. And this is something that social media pushes so much. I have family that has achieved nine figures, multiple family members, and I'm lucky to get mentorship for them from them. A lot of people will tell you that you need seven sources of income to be like this wealthy person. The truth is you need to master one income first and become so wealthy with that. And then you use that income to invest and get other sources. I don't know one person who's become a millionaire with seven or eight. If you don't focus on one thing and really, really excel at it, you don't get anywhere. And same goes with trading. I see and me and Mark have talked about that. There's people that when you look at their stock portfolio, it looks like an index fund. And, and that's because they feel like if this one doesn't work, that one will work. If that one doesn't work, this one will work. Okay, so let's go through this. Okay, assume predefined risk. Um, identify and establish risk tolerance. I'll give you a quick example, and I've covered that before too. Mark has 5,000 and I have 50,000, and we're both getting into options trading. Mark goes, Mo, this 5K is my play money for options. I don't care if I lose it all. This is for me to learn. This is for me to just make money. I come at 50K and I go, my risk tolerance is 5K. I cannot lose in more than 5K. So do I really have 50K? I don't. I have 5K. I got to play with what I'm okay to lose. This is so huge because Mark did an amazing video and I told him, I don't know how it's not gone viral. He did a video on prop funds that will tell you that they're giving you 50K but their drawdown is like 2,500. Are they really giving you 50K? They're not. They're giving you $2,500, but they make it seem like it's 50K. It's crazy. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. No, it's, it's, a, it's just a marketing tactic. That, that's the first thing I noticed before when I was like, oh, great. I'm a, I'm a funded trader with $50,000. Well, how much do I actually get to lose? Mm, 1500 So you only really have a $1,500 account. It's the same thing that if you put $1,500 into your own account and you trade with it, it's the same thing. I mean, clearly, you know, the barrier of entry is a lot lower and, and you can use it for practice, but that's a whole nother thing. Okay. Number three, establish cardinal sins. And these are mine. It, they don't have to be yours. So averaging down, over trading, over leveraging and trading no edge setups. So this week, I probably traded the least I have in the last three months and I've had the most wins. And that's because I'm not, I, for some days, I don't do, take a trade for four hours and then just watch the market. August is a tough month. Why do I have to take multiple trades when I know what the seasonality is like, what the chop is like? We've had multiple seasons of this now. And, and I'm talking about people that started 2019, 2020. We've done this multiple times. We know how March goes. We know how August is. We know seasonality for September. Why do we need to take hard trades? Like why, right? And the reason for why is, we're wired that way. Most of you that work jobs or businesses, and especially if you're from immigrant fat background, your parents, you saw them working 14 to 16 hours, and that's all we know. So a lot of times you're like, I'm just wasting time looking at the screen. So I'll just do something and that doing so 
leads to you losing another 200, 400, then you're like, I shouldn't have done anything. A lot of times, if you feel like you can't sit still in front of a screen, just leave, go take a walk. And the more money you need from the market, the less money you will make from the market. So desperation and losing have one thing in commonality. They always go side by side. So don't be desperate for money. That's the fastest way to lose money. Um, but yeah. All right. The next one is profit taking and account management. There's two things to it, right? If you're up, right? Uh, Mark asked um, the Tesla investor, like, why haven't you shaved profits? And now he's an investor, so we're going to leave him alone. But if you are a trader, always take profits. I've had situations where I was up three to 4,000%. And I don't want to repeat what I've said multiple interviews. I didn't take profit because I was just clueless. I don't know where my end line was, right? So I just held it and then it went down. I still didn't know what to do because I don't know what the plan was. So make sure you're always taking profits. Things will always go above where you sell it. That's what it's meant to be. It's kind of like saying you sold this company or a house to someone and you expect it to never go higher than what you sold it for. How silly does this sound? But yet all you all, not all you all, let me not trigger everyone. Majority <laughs> people, they will sell their premium and then go back on the option chain and be like, shit, I sold it. I wish I held it. And that feeling of not being grateful will bite you back. The next one is account management. And Mark, this is the biggest problem that I have members facing, right? So here's what happens. I'll give my example. So Mo started his account in January. January was an easy month. He took it from 2K to 5K by Feb. He's killing it. Now he's calling himself a goat. And like he thinks he's the best and probably added a hedge fund title on Twitter, right? By March, <laughs> this guy is now 2 to 10K. Now he's added asset under management on his Twitter. Like he's unstoppable. He's first name basis with Kathy and Warren, right? Nothing can stop. He gets one bad week, goes from 10 to two. You know why? None of that money actually leaves the account to their checking or saving. It sits in their account. That is the most dangerous thing. And what they're doing is they're using the rule of compounding in a negative way. They're compounding their entire position and increasing their position size bigger. So what happens is in January, when their position was 500, now it's 5K. So one bad week will blow them out. Another thing about account management is if your account is 5K, and I did this class last month. If your account's 5K, how much of that money will be dedicated to weeklies, zero days, monthlies, and long trades? A lot of people will take that 5K and divide it equally. You can't. Your long trade might take two weeks to get there. Your weekly will take one hour to blow your account and it will take weeks before that can be made up in long trades. And if you already know you're not a good scalper, you should size even lower. Anyways, hopefully I'm not triggering people and people aren't exiting <laughs> no, the Funny. No, it's funny because like a lot of that stuff is reminds me in the early stages when I was trading. I did all those mistakes. Everything you talk about, I've, I've done it. And the thing is, like, I feel like a lot of people don't talk about it publicly or are ashamed to say it. Listen, y'all, I've done it. I've done it. And I'm in a much better place than I was in 2020 and 2021. So it is part of the learning process. But don't 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 keep throwing money at at this, like Mo was saying earlier. 10, 20, 30,000. It's like it's part of the process. You pay for college, right? I mean, we no, eventually learn. 
You're paying for the cafeteria and the beers after. This this ain't learning. I promise you, it's not. Uh, I read somewhere, and the person is like, I had a, I have ten years uh, experience of driving a forklift, and the person said, No, you probably have one year of experience of driving a forklift, and you've repeated for the last nine years. So if you're in the process of losing for an entire year, we need to change something. Um, okay, I'm gonna read a comment, and it's very good. Uh, it says one of my biggest conflict is, is being a good trader, getting the best out of a trade. The best out of trade is maxed out at your skill set. And that's the best trade for you. It might not be the best trade for a mark, but that's the best trade for you. Yeah, we have another good question right here. So are you saying to make some of the money from your trading account and put it in your personal accounts? So we won't blow it. Well, yeah, like imagine running a business and keeping all the profits there and not taking it. You're training your brain that this is an income generating skill that I have. And I swear that's what it does. If every month you take some amount, maybe if it's 150, it's registering in your subconscious. That's an income generating skill. What a lot of people are doing is refunding it, refunding their account again and again. You're right. Myron Golden is what who said that. I've been listening to him a lot and I'm impressed with, everything he's been mentioning we should bring him up uh on the podcast someday but yeah very good content that's the guy i shared with you mark mm, um, okay yeah i do like that guy okay let me add how do i add him back on uh not him how do i add the slides okay perfect let me go through it okay so mental check no one really talks about it probably the most important part this is where most people fail at they'd be good at technical fundamental but execution is not good because there's something going on that's broken inside until they fix that they can't get out background my background is human psychology i did have a degree in hr not trying to flash that but what i'm trying to say is when we were in school we were taught that there's a way you communicate with people and there's a way you communicate with yourself. Both are important. In this case, how you communicate with yourself is very key because that's what you're doing when you're trading. So if you're not forgiving yourself, you're always just blaming yourself for everything that happens and then just sort of like lashing out by doing something crazy in the market, by over leveraging, over trading, you're going to blow your account. So the first thing that I ask a lot of people when they get on my calls is are you experiencing anxiety or stress when you're entering a trade or losing money and if the answer is yes sometimes we never get to the technical aspect i'm not talking about someone who's never traded if someone who's never snowboarded went for snowboarding they're gonna feel anxiety and all that right but if you've been doing this for a year and you're experiencing anxiety and stress every single time it's sort of like your brain is trying to protect you by saying don't do this because you're going to get hurt because past pain is remembered and reminded in the subconscious right so we need to address this issue you need to address that issue and why it's happening you need to fix some things this usually happens because you have a lack of skill set right or this happens because you keep bringing past pain and you've held to it held on to it and that's all you can think of Third is journaling. It will help you. Journaling, not so much about the trade, but how you feel when you enter a trade, how you feel when you suffer a stop, how you feel when you profit. 
the best thing for journaling is doing an emotional check when you're sitting on the hot seat, meaning you're getting sitting to take a trade. A 360 would be making sure how is your personal life with your wife, with your family, with your friends, at work, with yourself, spiritually, if there's any. And if there's problems in that area, either you have to block it all or not trade until you can fix it. The last one is identifying triggers and healing before focusing on money. I've been in a lot of meetings where we would have employees come in in HR and they would lash out. I've had managers that would show triggers when they didn't like anything, facial expressions, body language. And we had training on how to fix it. And fixing was having em emotional intelligence and constantly seeing how you feel when certain things are introduced. If one of you guys had an allergy with something, the doctor would say, keep account of everything you're eating. And after eating something specific, if you feel that allergy, write that down. You do the same thing with triggers within yourself. There's phases, right? People will start playing earnings, lottos, and then they realize it's not working for them. And then they go two months clean, not doing it. And then they fall back into it. Something triggered for them to do it again. So... Yeah, like there's a lot of comments. I hope they're good. I'm not reading it. I'm guessing Mark's reading it. But Mark, let's go through any yeah. questions if there's any. But um, that's it for me on small account growth. Yeah, let's see what questions some people got here. Let's see. Is it true that no? It says, okay, here's, here's this might be a, a new one. Is it true that over 90% of traders lose money? Yes. Yes, that is true. In fact, actually, I saw a study, man, recently. I forgot where I read it at, but that number actually went down. I think it said now 75%, which means that there are more people who are successful at trading. But if this, if you're new, I've said this before, too, it's a hard skill to learn. We don't shy away from it. It does take practice. It does take time to learn. And people get, typically get turned off with it because of the amount of money you need to have to do it. Although I feel like the risk is a lot less and I could sleep at night. Realistically, it's it's the compound effect for me. But like Mo said, it's funny. I still to this day have not taken a penny out of the market. Did you know that, Mo? Um, yeah, I, I had. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, today, Friday, Friday is going to be my first time I'm taking out some money. So That's good. It's really I, good. It's gonna, yeah. You're going to see how it feels after. Yeah, because I always like because I'm always like you know the more money I have the more leverage the more I can you know trade and stuff like that. But I've already kind of scaled. I I keep my contracts from five to ten. I don't go beyond that. So there's no purpose of me trying to scale beyond that. I'm comfortable where I'm at right now because I don't know what will happen if again if you add a bunch of money in there, then typically people will over leverage. And I'm not trying to get into that. Um, so and here's another comment. If anyone wants to read or for it right here. All right. So, Lee, to answer this question, I brought a therapist and Mark knows this. They came for three sessions. And after that, I'd never invited them back because I felt like a lot of the issues were very personal and no one will share that in a group setting. But I 100 percent agree with you. That's one of the reasons why most people were lacking behind. It's not so much about technical there's so many people I talk to and I'm like, you've made a shit ton of money. What are you doing? 
and then they say support and resistance. And I'm like, is that all you're using? What other skills do you use or tools? They're like, that's all I use. I don't complicate it. That's all I use. Most of the trading gets self-complicated because the more we know, the more stuff we throw at it. And a lot of times, a lot of what we are are analytical. And what we do is when we lose, we want to learn more. In trading, you have to learn less because you have to execute fast. So you're correct in that. You know what's um before we get to this question, hold on, look, that's that's not it. There's another question. You know what's uh quite frustrating? And um let me put this hide this real fast before I bring it up here. You talked about the therapist that you brought on. And we've we've done an episode before on risk management. We've done episodes on the psychology of money and psychology of trading, and nobody fucking cares. <laughs> nobody does. It's like and the, the views are low, nobody ever really shows up. And it's like, oh, that's the boring stuff. But the fact is, that's the most important part of trading is the psychology, is Remember the emotional had, intelligence. We mental. had a professor and he's got a big following. And he was saying that he used to do classes on mindset and no one would show up for people would show up. And then he would do technical analysis and everyone would show up. And he's like, I just stopped doing it. And so a lot of my one on ones have nothing to do about technical. They're all about, hey, man, I keep self-sabotaging myself, keep doing this and that. And what do I do? And it's kind of like a lot of times when they start talking about it, they're answering it as they're talking. But you're absolutely correct. Yeah. And there was a person who had a question here. Is that if, where is it? The screen is so far from me, I can barely see. Is it this one right here? Um, nope. There's a question about which, okay, there you go. If you could only use three indicators, what would they be? I think you and I probably use the same. Do you want to go first or want me to go first? Uh, you go first. Well, first of all, I don't like indicators because they delayed. <laughs> Majority of them are delayed. But to you, but they're there to try to assist as if a tool, right? It's like a tool belt. What could help me to try to, I guess, confirm my thesis or direction of what I'm doing? Um, the EMAs is what I use as well as the RSI, but I solely rely on supply and demand, support and resistance. You. Um, I think the number one indicator is risk management. Um, most people, if, if you, and I call it an indicator because before you plug in anything, TradingView has this thing tool, which shows you your profit and loss RR. That if I, that's the first thing I apply even before supply and demand anymore. If that doesn't check, I don't use anything else. The second is um, supply and demand. And lately, I've been using moving averages. I'd say about the last four months, I've been heavily relying on moving averages for daily, not and five minutes. And what's, what's the numbers you use for that? 920, um, 250, which one? Just one, 50. 50, okay. I Mine only, find, I only on find stocks that are near 50. And then I trade. So, well, speaking about stocks, let's go for our picks and then wrap it up. Got um, any picks for this week? I want to quickly, I need to cover the CLS trade because it's down and I had like three DMs. So I'm like, if I don't talk about it, they're going to say that you know, Mo had a down trade. No, 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 no. Don't worry about so, it, Mo. We're just going to ignore it like a lot of other people do. We just ignore it and act like it didn't exist. And then we could just talk about that. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But before we can get into it real quick, I'm keeping I'm keeping track of it. I actually wanted to see 
what your results are on that one because I did not take that trade. So, so far, we've called out for the very first week, we called out Vail was 68%, was green, good to go. Apple, 80%, that's the vertical I call out, good to go. CLS, where you're at on that one? Okay, so the most I was down on that trade was 30% at one point. I have not exited that trade. I need that. I need 20.50 to stick. Remember, our contracts are for March. So I'm looking at these levels at daily. I feel like people are looking at it on a one-second candle, and the moment it goes red, I get a DM. Yo, Mo, what are we doing? I'm like, chill, man. Just the whole market's dying down. Give this trade a little bit of time. The premiums are dropping, but the actual chart isn't doing anything. It's just consolidating. It went under 20.50 for like a couple of hours, then it went right back up. So that's what I'm watching. Uh, but yeah, this is my deal. My DMs get fun when trades go red. So I wanted to address it. <laughs> yeah, mine, um, the one I, I focused on last week was WWE. I specifically said that usually, you know, like 210, it, it usually rejects 210. Fucking SummerSlam happened this weekend. SummerSlam apparently was the best SummerSlam in WWE history. The stock is up at 112. We still have until next week. We've got eight days left. But remember, I did tell everyone to take a paper trade. I took a paper trade as well. I posted on Instagram or on my YouTube channel in the community board. I usually post my trades. I don't go on social media Monday through Friday as often anymore. I just usually go to post. I don't check DMs. I do that over the weekend. So please don't feel like I'm ignoring you. I'm not. I'm just not wasting time on social media anymore like that. Um but the WWE play, um, I talked about like if it gets close to 107, that's when I'm going to start buying. I did in a paper count. I did buy and I added more. I got 10 contracts. It's down 100% right now. Um, I think it might be a little bit over 100%. I got. I wish I could pull it up. But it's, it's the reason why I want you guys to take that trade for two reasons. For one, WWE hasn't failed me yet. So I still have eight days. I, I really believe it, it will not fail me. It's at 112 again like it did before. I tested that, and then it immediately came back down. We need to go below 110. With that being said, the reason why I want everyone to paper trade this one specifically because I want to show you how um, vertical spreads work when the spread is wide. They're somewhat of a pain in the ass to get in and out. No matter how good the company is, no matter how guaranteed it is, it could show 98% probability you will trade this. If the spread is wide, like WWE, the shit can be a pain in the ass at times. But we're in that right now, so the results will be for WWE will be presented next week. But as of right now, it's ugly. It's ugly, and so is your CLS. But yours is not until March. Oh so, yeah, I'm not. I'm uh, not sweating at all. Okay. All right. Yeah. If you guys ever want to go, like I share my trading account. It's just a small account that I trade on Instagram, YouTube, and sometimes you may see some random plays, and they're like, "Why the hell would he?" Do this play it's this i usually have a reason behind it um like i added uh at&t yeah i added at&t i am up on that one and that one i have 665 days left on that one that was a long-term play that i think i think at&t is bottom at this point not the biggest fan of at&t but if it ends up running up in the future within the next two years i may actually take the shares because it is a dividend company all right do you have anything plays that you want to share this week mo um no trades i wouldn't recommend people doing swing trading right now um if someone can tell me what the window of weakness is next week i'd be truly impressed i've said it multiple times um but we are going to approach window of weakness next week um and until then i will not be doing any swing trades ppi ppi i wouldn't recommend especially if i can't live commentary to people and just give out trades without telling them the whole execution plan i'd wait till 
next weekish. Next week, I'll have a trade. Uh, the week window of weakness, by the way, is Wednesday of OPEX. That is when Wena and Charm's gonna go away. Until then, I believe we're gonna stay pinned between 4,400 to 45 ish, somewhere around there. Um, if we start sliding there, SBX QQQ will be in trouble. Right now, since August started, I'm just been managing my existing trades. I have not done a single new swing trade. It's been all day trading. All right, I am going to call one out that I will probably, and again, recommend everyone if you're not familiar with paper trading, just do the verticals again. Um, I use my scanner to try to find something good and juicy because I usually always just do Apple and stuff, but Apple's is down. I did do Shopify. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Vail, we talked about Vail before. Vail showed up in my scanner today, and I was like, what? Got to take a look at this one. Look at the levels. It is currently near a support level. But the scanner showed me a play that was pretty juicy, and I looked at it, and I do like it. It is in eight days expiration. You sell a $13.50 put for the monthly, which is next week, and you buy the $12.50 put also next week. Again, you sell the $13.50 put, you buy the $12.50 put. Right now, you get $45 per contract. The probability of this trade is not the best. It's actually 50%. However, the risk to reward is very different. It's one of the few ones I've seen where it's it's pretty good. One to 1.5. Every um, The max loss is $40. 8% chance of you losing that entire $40. 50% um, probability of you actually getting the max $60 profit. I foresee at least 25% return on this one. With that being said, though, looking at the levels of where Vail currently is, I am not going to enter it unless it drops down another couple cents to 1320. If it hits 1320 today, well, not today, we're, the market's closed tomorrow. If it hits 1320, the premium should be able to collect is actually $60, so 0.60 at 1320. That is where I'm going to enter live. I will put it again on my Instagram as well as on my YouTube when I do enter that. But I'm looking at a $60 premium collection if it hits $13.20 and below. If it breaks below $13, it does not hold. I think the 52-week low was like 12 bucks or something. I got to go look again. But I will, um, I will exit out of that if it goes against me. But as for next week expiration, I just need Theta to start kicking in. And um, yeah, so this one, this one showed up. The spread doesn't look too bad either on that one. Yeah, the spread is is, is solid, three cent difference um, usually. All right, and um, but yeah, if you guys noticed any, if you looked at some of the trades I had, I posted one yesterday. You guys probably saw that shot was down like a hundred and four percent, and then today is up sixty two percent. It's because it's a cash secure put, y'all. Um, I just needed it not to touch 55, and it's not. It doesn't look like it's going to touch 55 by tomorrow, unless there's something happens. I get, I get um, issued the shares, and then I would just start selling cover calls on it. I like shop, um, even as an investment. I like shop. I do think it can go a little bit lower. I did start scaling into it as, for shares in my Roth IRA, um, and then I added like T-Mobile. And the reason why is out of all the communication sectors. Verizon, I still think, has some ways to go down. I think at this point, T-Mobile kind of stabilized, and I have a $15 call for June 2025. So I think T-Mobile could move up at least $0.80 cents in the next 
680 days. What do you think? <laughs> and the contract was only uh, it was only um, $1.40, so I did get that. I'm not planning on adding a whole bunch of them. The only reason I'm doing this is because I am looking to get into communication sector, especially since as a dividend. And I've never been a fan of AT&T, especially when it was like at $30. People used to always talk about it, and it just it didn't, the valuation didn't make sense. Even at $20 didn't make sense. Here, I feel a bit more comfortable. And again, the premium, I only paid $140. For a contract that's six hundred some days out at a fifteen dollar call, I I'm pretty optimistic that I'll at least make some money on this one. But then again, AT and T did drop back down to a thirty year low, right? So everyone who invested in AT and T thirty years ago is back to zero. And then my oh my Disney is forty three percent up. And I'm still in Lucid and Mattel, but those are are cover calls. So and Lucid is a trade. Mattel I am keeping specifically for my daughter, unless the shares get called away. I have eight days on this cover call and. Mattel is just not going below $19, which I needed to. But that's all I got. Um, we have some other stuff to talk about, but we could do that in another podcast. We are way past time. Are there any questions or anything more that you see that people are looking for? Oh, we're asking? getting good feedback. People love the episodes. And so we'll keep it up. Uh, we'll keep working hard. Um, all I ask is make sure you are following me and Mark. Mark, you want to tell us where they can follow you? Yeah, you can find me, man, on YouTube at Uncultured Currency. And then I have another YouTube channel called Half Breed Observer, which is political. Today, we're going to get into some somewhat of a political stuff. We're going to talk about the whole LGBTQ backlash from Neo and um, Wayne Brady being pan, pansexual. But we'll talk about that maybe next week or something like that, because um, I think the discussion is going to be quite, quite long and me rub people wrong but who knows so we do it another time that's where they can find me on instagram i'm just dope content creator uh and on twitter i think i'm also just dope content creator i think or twitter or x whatever what do they call it now is it x x now yeah so if i tweet is it still tweeting or is it xing <laughs> is it canceling <laughs> like what like what is this this such a stupid move <laughs> anyways all right where can they find you mo uh, you can find me on Instagram uh, at OTB Clubhouse. I promise you I'm going to post the CLS chart. We don't have enough time. So after this, I'll post the chart. On Twitter, you can find me on OTB Shark Mo. Uh, yeah, that's it. Guys, we want to say thank you so much. A lot of people showed up today. This means a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much for stopping by. And we see you guys next week. Until then, stay fly i don't know i don't even know how to close this out what is there anything to say maybe Woo! i love rick flair anyways y'all this weekend go watch a movie talk to me it's a great horror movie i love it it's literally become one of my favorite movies and um i might actually watch it again for the third time until then peace out see you guys that's hunter